0: Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett and this is episode number 36 of the podcast. And as of recording the show, we are less than 24 hours away from 49ers 2021 training camp kicking off on Tuesday. It's going to be fun. Amazing. It has finally arrived. It's been a long and grueling offseason. Oh, let's be honest. It's been a long and grueling 2020 campaign all the way through the offseason. And today we're going to discuss those position battles heading into training camp. Who is that receiver number three? Is it a realistic possibility? Trey Lance starts week one. We'll preview and break down the entire training camp. And we are going to react to Fred Warner's contract extension. So let's jump right into today's show. Let's react to Fred Warner's record-breaking contract extension. Fred Warner signed a five-year, $95 million extension, $40 million, 40.5 million, excuse me, guaranteed averaging around 19 a year, and let me tell you, I don't want to say the anxiety that I had, but any time you have a star uh, star player coming up on the open market in a year, there is that anxiety of god, I hope he comes back. God, I hope we can get the extension done. The same thing went for George Kittle. There was still that anxiety of we have to get this man locked up for the long term. Even Trent Williams Having him on the open market, even Kyle Guszczyk, having him on the open market this past offseason, it was like, oh, like we need to bring these guys back. And thankfully, every single time a player under the Lynch and Shanahan era that has been worth their value, other than Kendrick Bourne maybe, but I wouldn't call him a superstar, any superstar on this team that has hit the open market, Lynch, Shanahan, they have made it a point to not only retain them, but reward them for the great work they've done for the organization. And to me, the Fred Warner re-signing meant a lot more than just bringing back a superstar player. To me, the Fred Warner signing, knowing the health issues the 49ers have had over the last year or so, especially Bosa and D Ford, missing a combined 34 games over the last two seasons, bringing back Fred Warner, who's never missed a game since being drafted in 2018 who's played 95% of his snaps, of the team's snaps, like, it was more than just bringing back a superstar. It was about sending a message and rewarding consistency. Now, we know D. Ford when healthy is a good player. We know Nick Bosa when healthy is a really good player. But bringing back someone who hasn't missed a game amid all the crazy injuries we've, we've experienced, amidst the insanity that was 2020, didn't, Miss a game. That's how important Fred Warner not only is to the organization, but also the team itself. The roster construction itself is about bringing in players that can remain healthy. Like that wasn't the case. Like let's be honest here. D. Ford traded a second-round pick for him, paid him big money extension, only for him to get hurt. Quan Alexander, big money, got hurt. Like, there have been mistakes along the way. And I like to think that every single time, I think we can prove every single time there has been a mistake. At least when it comes to roster construction, you know, they have learned from the mistakes they've made in the past. Trading for g Ford, giving him an extension, knowing the injury history he's had. Now let's focus on bringing in Trent Williams. Re-signing Kyle Juszczyk. Re-signing George Kittle, who admittedly has missed time, but is a dog on the field. And now re-signing Fred Warner, a player who has not missed a single game, who's played 95% of his snaps since the day he was drafted. And I have some stats here I want to read off that Fred Warner, again, while he means so much to the front office, and you know, the roster construction, and the team on the field, uh, he doesn't just play linebacker. I think we all know that. He is a captain, wears the green dot, has since he was drafted in 2018, over Reuben Foster, Who was the first round pick the year prior to him even coming to San Francisco? But I looked up some of his uh, pass coverage stats, and I know, I think we all can agree, Niners fans out there, Fred Warner is the best pass coverage linebacker in the NFL. His passer rating allowed, 81.4. His PFF coverage grade, less than, or excuse me, less than 90. Two years in a row. 92 years in a row. That is top of the charts, number one in the NFL at linebacker. His catch rate allowed is below expectation, negative 16.5 according to next-gen stats. If you don't understand the stats I'm reading off, and the numbers I'm telling you, pretty much, in layman's terms, I'm telling you, Fred Warner is the best linebacker in the NFL if not the best, he is number two at worst. That is, like, the stats that I'm reading off to you, passer rating 81.4, 90 PFF coverage grade two years in a row, and the catch rate allowed below expectation, negative 16.5. Now, again, look back at the offseason. A lot of question marks. Is Tart going to leave in free agency? Kwan Williams was a free agent. Verrett was a free agent. Sherman is... Not on the team currently, and likely will not be in the future due to some unforeseen circumstances. Resigning Fred Warner wasn't just about keeping consistency at linebacker; it was really also about shoring up the pass defense, making sure guys like Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey—maybe his name is Kels, <laughs> according to him—don't eat you up on the inside. Making sure that quarterbacks like Tom Brady can't hit Gronk over the middle when you hopefully play them in the NFC Championship game. Like, we saw what the Buccaneers did with Devin White and Lelante David to Gronk to what Kansas City wants to do over the middle of the field. That is the same method, the same motto, the same way Fred Warner and this Niners defense wants to play. Fred Warner eliminates the middle of the field. It wasn't just about bringing back a all-pro linebacker. Albeit part of it, it was also realizing that, hey, we are going to lose some pass coverage pieces, and we have to bring back, arguably, our best pass coverage player in Fred Warner. It simply was not, let's resign him because we like him, or he's a good player. Let's resign him because he literally does, arguably... The most important thing on defense. Yes, a captain. But he takes away the middle of the field. Not many teams can say they have that linebacker that can take away the middle of the field, take away your best receiver on crossing routes, take away your tight end on almost every single play. Quarterbacks do not throw near Fred Warner. Not many teams can say a linebacker puts fear in a quarterback. Fred Warner does that. The re-signing was to bolster the secondary on top of bringing back a leader, a captain, an all-around great person. And to me, in recent memory, the Diners have had some of the greatest linebackers of all time, at least in the organizational's history. Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman. And now we see Fred Warner on the same path. But to me, looking back at the history of Fred Warner, BYU, third-round pick, you know, he maybe wasn't the flashiest guy, he was overshadowed by Reuben Foster, who the team traded back into the first round for in 2017. From day one, Fred Warner has been on this trajectory. And those in the front office knew it. He was wearing the green dot. He was the captain on the defense over Reuben Foster. Someone drafted a year prior to, two rounds earlier, That the team traded up for. Warner was already in the minds of the coaching staff. The mind of the front office. Higher than their former first round pick. He's been on this path since day one. Warner being this good. I don't think many saw him being an all pro. All pro Fred. As we would like to say with the faithful. There is no surprise to me. Fred Warner is this good. No surprise to me that he is arguably the best linebacker in the NFL. It's no surprise to me that he was given this massive record-breaking extension simply because he was on this path since the beginning. And if you weren't paying attention, whether you're maybe a Raider fan or a casual fan or you just don't like the Niners, I guarantee you are paying attention to Fred Warner now. Fred Warner is the, the consummate professional on and off the field. An all-around wonderful person. A great leader. A great teammate. And he is the best linebacker in the NFL. And he's going to continue to be that. And hopefully, I would like to think, and I think I'd like to predict, he's on his way to cementing himself as the best linebacker in the league, not only for this year, but years to come. The work ethic is there, and I am extremely excited to have Fred Warner back in the red and gold. I know I have my Nick Bosa uh, 1994 red jersey sitting next to me. Maybe one day I will get that Fred Warner 1994 red throwback jersey alongside my Nick Bosa one. Uh, but let's move on to topic number two of today's show, uh, and it is training camp. It's one thing that many of you have had questions about. Many of you want to know what my thoughts are. Also, on top of it, there's a lot of excitement. Why wouldn't you be excited for 49ers football finally being back? I don't know about you, but the entire season, I sat around saying I, I cannot suffer through the rest of the offseason. I can't suffer through the quarterback conversation. I can't suffer through, is Jimmy going to be here? Jimmy not going to be here? I can't suffer through the insufferable, which was every single day debating people or the faithful having infighting. It was really frustrating, and I'm sure there was some frustration on your part saying, like, can this just be over? Like, the anxiety going up to the draft, um, from a casual fan perspective, uh, may not have been as much as those are who are diehard Niner fans. Wanting to know who they've traded three first-round draft picks for, uh, and again, coming off a year that was horrible, that was just one of those things you want to wash from your brain and forget altogether, uh, the last year and a half or so, not only for the world, but for Niners fans, has been grueling, it's been maybe driving some of us insane to a certain degree, depending on how you feel or how many games you watch or how much you care about this team, but... 2021 training camp is a new beginning. Forget the revenge tour. Forget, you know, you know getting back to the Super Bowl and beating the Chiefs. Forget all that. The vendetta's over. Granted, I'd love to do that. But we have more important things to talk about. We have more impo- important things to discuss. It's a, a fresh start to forget the past and move on. That's, that, that, that's what Trey Lance does, not only for the team, but also he allows it's kind of a more of a motto for this season you forget about the past what what happened in 2020 is over with we've learned from it how can we do better so let's look at Fred Warner for a split second here I I just want to hit on that point of consistency again consistency is something that the Niners have desperately needed uh at multiple positions this year you know quarterback running back receiver uh edge rusher cornerback there have been a lot of issues in regards to health maybe some inconsistent play here and there who's receiver number three and I think we can start off with that question let's start off in the wide receiver room and I think at least in my opinion there is a reason to be excited about what Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk bring to the offense what we've seen from them gives us reason to smile and say they can be a top 10 duo top 5 duo in the NFL But it's also the excitement of what they can still become. Now, uh, last year I said that Brandon Ayuk reminded me of Derek Mason a little bit. And to me, Derek Mason, while not flashy, he was one of the most consistent receivers in his era of the 2000s. A player you didn't look to who's already being overlooked uh, in the annals of history. Many of you probably don't even remember who that is, but Ayuk is already being overlooked. Justin Jefferson was the flashy pick with the Vikings, and uh, he, he killed it. Congrats to him; he was amazing talent to watch. Ayuk already being overshadowed, I think he's on that path of being a really great receiver, but overshadowed. Debo Samuel, I mean, how much more can you talk about him? He's a running back playing receiver. He's he's a dog. He's gonna fight for every single yard, every single inch. I mean, I mean, when you think of Debo Samuel, you you probably think of in Seattle. Week 17, division on the line. That's what I think of. Like, Debo Samuel gave us moments in 2019 where we said, oh my god. <laughs> like, this kid's going to be special. And Brandon Ayuk, I'm sure your first moment that you think of is the the leap over the defender against Philadelphia. Like, they have given us moments just one, two years into their career that make you go, wow, wow. But there are a lot of questions once you look beyond them. Can Jalen Hurd finally touch the field? Can he finally make it through training camp, a preseason, without an injury? Is Mohamed Sanu a viable third option? He's older, a veteran, yes. But he seems to be working extremely hard in the offseason to get his body right. Can Richie James Jr., Travis Benjamin, Trent Sherfield? Can they become more than just special team talent? And again, that brings me to my question, who do you think is receiver number three? You might see guys on Twitter saying you know, it's Craycraft season, which hey, if if River Craycraft can come in and just destroy it, I am all for it. But we have to look at what is the likely option and what is maybe the unpopular opinion. I do not believe guys like River Craycraft or even Trent Sherfield are going to see, I don't want to say a ton of play time, but it's going to be very hard for me to commit to them being receiver number three. Those guys are a four or a five. Maybe a five and a six, depending on how you look at them and view them. But to me, your, your receiver number three options are Jalen Hurd, Mohamed Sanu, Travis Benjamin, Richie James Jr., I don't have much faith in Juwan Jennings, I haven't seen him that much, he seems more like a fifth or sixth guy again, kind of matching what Craycraft and Sherfield mean to me, or how I value them, doesn't mean they can't give you something, it just means that on a maybe a deeper receiver room, they would be further down the depth chart, and with our team, a lot of guys past Debo and Ayuk make up that group. Like, on a good team, like Denver, at least good receiver room like Denver, not, not a good team, <laughs> but on a good receiver room like Denver, Sanu's like a fourth guy. Craycraft, you know, Richie James, Sherfield, those guys are like a five or six, four or five kind of guy. So to me, the most viable options going in, into training camp and throughout the preseason as the number three receiver option to me is Sanu and Hurd, behind them being Richie James Jr. and Travis Benjamin. And the one caveat to Benjamin being he opted out of last season. Again, no one's fault, not blaming him for that. But he is due $1 million. And none of that's guaranteed. So you can release Benjamin, cut him, if you will, and free up $1 million. And on a team that will likely suffer injuries, they happen. Now, I'm not going to wish them on anybody. Looking at you, Tavares Moore and Jeff Wilson Jr., get healthy soon. We, we need you guys back. You are vital parts of this offense and defense and cannot wait to see you get healthy again. But again, injuries happen. You don't wish them to, you don't prepare for them to, but you have to understand, on a team that only has roughly $4 million to spend, $1 million for a receiver who is older, he's saying he's 32 years old, Hasn't played in a year. We haven't seen on the field in a year. Pretty much two at this point. Like, that $1 million is valuable. Maybe someone goes down. Maybe you. maybe Ford's not healthy. Maybe Nick Bosa isn't just quite right yet to begin the year. Getting in another edge rusher, or another cornerback, maybe, if Mosley and Thomas aren't taking that next step you want in camp, Benjamin, to me, is a a cap casualty at this point. Or has the potential to be. I do not want to pay a million dollars to a receiver who, let's be honest here, is a one-trick pony, and at times, he's not great at that one trick. Being a straight-line, deep-threat runner. I don't value Travis Benjamin as a football player on this team, currently, that highly. But I do value guys like Jalen Hurd, who... This is his last chance. He has everything to prove, nothing to lose. Those are players I'm willing to bet my money on. Mohamed Sanu knows the system. Already working out with Trey Lance. He's not going to need time to learn. He played in the system last year for a short period of time. Like, there are reasons to believe Mohamed Sanu, who is a Shanahan guy, has a good chance to make this roster and likely play some good time. And be on the field for a good amount of snaps. Richie James Jr. We saw him pop off against Green Bay. In a weird week of where COVID hit the Niners. This team is going to... Need to replace Kendrick Bourne. That Emmanuel Sanders role. That clutch, third down, I need a first down kind of role. Now while I do think Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk can be enough... In the NFL... You can never have enough. And if it was just me, I think they carry five or six receivers. I'm looking at Debo, Ayuk, Hurd, Sanu, it's already four. Richie James, that's five. And Trent Sherfield, he's due money, guaranteed money, that's six. Maybe, maybe Jennings goes to the practice squad. Benjamin maybe goes to the practice squad. But to me, Craycraft and Jennings, and Austin Watkins, undrafted uh, receiver from UAB, they go to the practice squad, they can fill the practice squad receiver roles because the NFL this year has extended the COVID rules saying you can have veterans and rookies on the practice squad. So I think you have six, five or six receivers this year depending on what they want to do. You've know, you got Debo Ayuk, you have Hurd, Sanu, James, and Sherfield. simply based on guaranteed Money, unless something else like an end kill, Harry happens to kind of fall on their lap via trade. But also, let's be very clear here the Niners were in on DD Westbrook, they had signed Marquise Lee and cut him. They're likely going to be some shifting in the receiver room. You can tell they do want to add more talent there, just depends on who's out there, who's available, who's in the market. Because this team desperately needs that receiver that, like, the They definitely need to cement someone in that role. They need that slot receiver. You were hoping it was going to be Trent Taylor for a few years. It wasn't that. Emmanuel Sanders filled that role. Kendrick Bourne filled that role for a little bit. They need that slot receiver desperately. But currently on this roster, I don't see anyone who does that outside of Sanu and Hurd. And and there's questions surrounding those guys as well. Moving on to the running back room. A big question here is, one, what is the future for Heem Mostert? Two, who is going to make the roster when it comes to running backs? Because is Trey Sermon going to be the number one guy this year is the question we have. Who's running back number three? Behind him, is it Wayne Gallman? Is it Michael Hasty, who impressed last year in, in training camp but then didn't do much during the season? Uh, Austin Walter is gone, who I loved Austin Walter for a little bit um, when he was called up to the main roster um, due to injury, but I want to focus on Raheem Mostert for one second here because Matt Miyoko of NBC Sports, I don't want to say, you know, rattled the cage for a little bit, but he did make a comment that to me was interesting. And this is the quote here saying, you know, if everything goes well, you know, Trey Sherman and Elijah Mitchell of the Niners, two uh, rookies this year, or two rookie running backs this year, are proving to be valuable. In the offense, when Gallman comes out strong in training camp, Jeff Wilson Jr., his rehab is going well, and Jermichael Hasty is improving. Then I think there could be maybe potential to the Niners being open to trading Raheem Mostert. Now, I put this on uh, Instagram at 49ers.access, and Jesus, do Niner fans not want to trade Raheem Mostert? And let's be let's be very clear: I do not want to trade Raheem Mostert. What he brings to the offense is something that we don't have when he's off the field. That is explosive speed. I think he was, like, the ranked, the fastest guy in the NFL, like, a year or two in a row. Like, what he brings is a dynamic that, again, like Fred Warner, not comparing the two, but like Fred Warner, a lot of teams on offense don't have. Like, he's a home run hitter. A lot of teams don't have that home run hitter. Like, look at offenses playing running back. Like Alvin Kamara, a home run hitter. Christian McCaffrey, home run hitter. Uh, Nick Chubb, a home run hitter. And I'm sure I'm missing some, but Raheem Mostert is a home run hitter. Not a superstar running back, but he's a home run hitting running back. And while we haven't seen Trey Sermon yet, he has potential. Wayne Gallman is kind of that bruiser, kind of that heavier back to kind of get you two to three to four yards a carry to kind of get you in the red zone. Uh, Elijah Mitchell is kind of that kick return specialist who does and kind of can be that change of pace back. Maybe like, you know, you give him four or five carries a game at the most maybe. Just because, well, I do think he can be more than that and is more than that. With the running back room we have, I don't think he'll be asked to do more than that. And when it comes to Jeff Wilson, he's going to be an IR. You're not going to see him for a while. And if Jeff Wilson comes back, then you have Wilson, Mostert, Sermon, Mitchell, and you have room for that fifth guy who I think is still Elijah Mitchell. And I could look at Wayne Gallman as kind of the odd guy looking out and hasty. But again, injuries happen. Guys get banged up. You got to carry someone that practice, uh, practice squad list that we're probably going to use for Jennings and Craig Craft, and you'll see some guys move around on it. I think we could uh, use that again with Jamichael Hasty maybe needing more time or just not right cut. I can see that as well. But I do think Shanahan values every single running back on the roster. So while well, maybe there's a chance what Mayoko says is true because you hate to you know disagree with someone like Matt Mayoko, who is an amazing talent, who's connected in every single, you know, little corner of the organization, I would have a hard time believing Shanahan wants to to trade arguably his best running back and definitively his best home run hitting offensive player. In my opinion, while not better than George Kittle, Raheem Mostert, to me, is a home run hitter. George Kittle is a bruiser who, again, is also a home run hitter, but Raheem Mostert is like a little bit higher on the level, to me, than George Kittle as a home run hitter. He will get you an ADR touchdown instantly. We saw it against Arizona Week One. Uh, we saw it while they were in New York. Not, not, not that Kittle can't, but Mostert is more consistently that home run hitting player, and I have a hard time believing they're going to move off of him. Now, the other conversation becomes: Okay, well, if Mostert's still there, uh, how are they going to implement Trey Sermon? Now. <laughs> Trey Sermon is interesting to me because while he does have the explosiveness, his underrated speed, uh, to me, he is someone, and Shanahan values this role heavily. Uh, when he brought in Albert Morris, um, when he had Tevin Coleman, he values that running back that can take the brunt of the carries, a.k.a. Tevin Coleman, a.k.a. Jeff Wilson Jr. last year for a small period of time before the injury. But, they give guys like Mostert, Mitchell, Gallman, they give the other backs around them who maybe are a little more explosive, who maybe Shanahan, Shanahan can use in unique ways that can open up the offense more, a.k.a. the end the rounds with Debo and Ayuk or Kittle maybe, maybe even Yushek as well. A, a guy like Trey Sermon to me is most valuable in that Tevin Coleman role. And maybe you might scoff at that knowing uh, the injuries Tevin Coleman had, but let's also be very clear. When the engine's running smoothly, Tevin Coleman is a really good NFL running back. He was really good in Atlanta for a long time, came to San Francisco. While he did have his inconsistencies time, he was the main factor in that Vikings win in the playoffs. He dominated against Carolina. Like, there were times in 2019 where you said, oh my god, Tevin Coleman, have a game. While I do think we need more consistency out of Trey Sherman in that Tevin Coleman role, I think Tevin Coleman, or excuse me, Trey Sermon is best served in that role of a speed back or a power back, a back that uses his power willfully. He's not afraid to hit that pile and drive guys, you know, two or three yards back and gain that four-yard gain to get you a first down. But he also has the ability to break away and have a 40-yard touchdown run. Like, Trey Sermon is likely in my opinion and I think should be used in that Tevin Coleman role simply because it's a role Shanahan loves to have he loves to have his bruiser DeAndre Hopkins or the, not DeAndre Hopkins excuse me <laughs> not DeAndre Hopkins um, when he was in Atlanta uh, he had Coleman you know he had um, you know, he had a handful of backs that he used to bruise but also run down defenses then here's the burner You know, here's Tevin Coleman for 15 carries to start the game. Now here's Raheem Mostert for, you know, 20-yard touchdown run because you weren't ready for him yet. Like, everything Shanahan does is to dissect the defense, run them down. There's a reason why to begin games, he might pass quickly, get a quick touchdown, then run the ball the entire time. He has a quick score. Now he's going to bruise you and abuse you the entire time with Tevin Coleman. And when he gets his chance, Shanahan says, Here, Raheem. Here Mitchell, here Gallman, here Jeff Wilson Jr. Here are these guys who I can put in there in the perfect place, perfect play, perfect position to get us that big play, that touchdown, that that home run hitting play I've been talking about so much. I think Trey Sermon is kind of that guy you look at and say, you know, go load the bases for me and let Raheem drive them in, if that makes sense. Um, Let's stick with rookies here for a, a, a little bit. And I want to move to the offensive line. And, to, and again, I think to me is the most important position on... or the, the most important unit on this team. I said last year during the season, the only way Shanahan's offense is successful is the offensive line. They are the key to what Shanahan wants to do. I fully believe going into the year that we are going to have Trent Williams, Lakin Tomlinson, Alex Mack, Mike McGlinchey playing right tackle with the biggest question mark coming at right guard. Now, it may be just me... But I think Aaron Banks starts at right guard. Not just because he has quick feet, he could be a great complement to McGlinchey, which he definitely can be, you know, but I also think moving Daniel Brunskill out of the right guard role, at least as a starter, adds a versatility to the offensive line. Again, we we have to keep looking back at 2019, because that is the year that everything worked. That when the entire machine was on full cylinders, who was being who who were the the versatile offensive linemen? Skule and Brunskill, tackle and guard. Ben Garland, center, tackle, guard. Like they. Shanahan values you know swing tackles like a Jalen Moore, Justin Skule, Sean Coleman, who can play both sides. Who can play maybe left guard and left tackle. Brunskill, I think to me, is going to be that swing guard and uh, center. He's going to be that primary backup center and right guard player. He's going to allow them to, I don't want to say, you know, cut corners with the offensive line, but he's going to allow them to say, hey, look, instead of having one guy to back up each or have, you know, two tackles and three guards and one center, he's going to say, hey, let's carry Brunskill who can play both. And every team has that guy. But putting Brunskill as the backup role is kind of that Swiss Army knife offensive lineman. I think he adds value because guys are going to get hurt. McGlinchey got hurt for a year, for a short period of time. Staley was out for a while in 2019. Guys last year got hurt. You know, how how many times have we seen Western Richburg go down and God bless his soul, he's retired, please be healthy the rest of your life. But Alex Mack's older. You wish him the best. You hope he's going to be healthy. He takes care of himself, obviously. He doesn't miss many games. Going back to that consistency role. But again, things happen. Guys get hurt. Why not have someone like a Daniel Brunskill who can be consistent behind those guys and, while you may see a drop-off, is still better than most backups in the NFL and could probably start on about 15 to 20 teams in the NFL. Um, So I think Aaron Banks is definitely going to be, I don't want to say guaranteed, but I do think he is someone you look at and you go, I think this team could have, you know, three rookies starting on offense this season. Maybe being Trey Sermon, maybe at a certain point Trey Lance, and we'll definitely talk about that later, um, but also Aaron Banks as well. Um, but I want to move to the other side of the ball for a second here as we run through the entire offense, entire defenses uh, during training camp. Uh, The defensive side of the ball is something that I'm actually really curious about because the hope going into this season is that you do see that 2019 version of Nick Bosa again. You hope the ACL doesn't have, you know, lingering effects going into the season because Nick Bosa, when healthy, is arguably the biggest difference maker in the NFL. Most pressures as a rookie. He dominated against Kansas City despite being held. He is, in my opinion, the biggest difference maker in the NFL when healthy. Go to the other side of the defensive line, D. Ford. Is he going to be healthy again? You're hoping, again, the neck and the back are okay, but the entire time he's been here, his entire tenure, there's been questions of, can he he be on the field? He wasn't that much last year. Missed almost the entire season. Nick Bosa missed the entire season other than two games, or a game and a, a quarter. And DeFord Ford also missed time in 2019. So there are concerns. And, uh, and again, sticking with the consistency role, who is going to be the depth edge rushers? Now again, you hope these guys are healthy. You hope Ford and Bosa can come back and be the, the version of themselves, fully healthy. But can these guys get back to that top five unit if one of these guys go down? And if one of these guys go down or is having an off year... Who is going to back them up? You yes, have Samson Ebukam, Arden Key. Like they're probably going to be the primary backup edge rushers. Jordan Willis, after he serves his six game suspension, he will likely become that rotational edge rusher. Eric Armstead can go outside. Uh, but besides that, and again that me saying besides that, like that wasn't a lot of depth. But the question is, if Bosa can't play a week or two, then Ebukam has to start a ford who likely will not be healthy and will probably probably spend some time on the IR this year just because it's d ford <laughs> and there's always a concern and you can't go into the season looking at that but you have to be realistic here that guys are going to get hurt and edge depth is an issue and if you're going to have three or four guys taking up on taking up space on the roster they have to be able to step in in the absence of nick bosa d ford Like These guys can't just be scrubs. And I know that's the case. Most NFL teams aren't looking to get scrubs. But to have a dominant defense again, this team needs the pass rush. It's going to help the entire defensive unit. It's going to help what, in some people's eyes, including mine, is a secondary that could use a cornerback 2, cornerback 3 definitive player. You know, the cornerback role is not much different than the receiver role. Mosley and Verrett, Debo and Ayuk, who's DB number three? Who's cornerback number three? K1 Williams, great. Who's the next man coverage corner? Henry Thomas, how's he going to play after not playing for a single year? A lot of question marks. But again, can guys like Javon Kinlaw have a breakout year? But in my opinion... The two guys to keep an eye on going into this year, this training camp, is Maurice Hurst, the ex-Las Vegas Raider, and Kevin Givens. Now, thankfully, we haven't had the hype train hit just yet, but I think these are two guys who you are going to want to keep an eye on. I think Maurice Hurst and Kevin Givens, what they do on the inside, they're strong, they're fast. While I think Kevin Givens has a lot of a lot more potential than Hurst does in this defense, I do think Maurice Hurst is someone who really wasn't utilized correctly in Las Vegas and Oakland while they were still in California. But I do think those two guys, the way they play, the ferocity they play with, uh, and I think the scheme we have here in San Francisco, we've heard the entire time with Demeka Ryans or Fred Warner saying we're going to blitz a lot more this year. I'm, our guys are going to be allowed to play quicker, faster, do more things. That's why Ebukam was brought in. They're going to play faster. He's a fast-playing fast, uh, fast playing player, to, to not sound dumb or, or, or redundant, but they want guys you know all speed, no breaks. That's what Kevin Givens and Maurice Hurst give you on defense. I think those two guys are two defensive linemen, albeit interior, guys to look out for. Let's go to the secondary for a second here. Before, before we talk about Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, who's going to start week one, let's move to the secondary. And I know we all know who CB One is, Jason Verrett. FIVA, as they call him on Instagram. Uh, but there are some questions. Again, there's a lot of questions on this team. Uh, we, are, we, we have top-end talent, high-end players starting. But once you get past, you know, the first string there are some question marks. And I do think guys like Amber Thomas, uh, Lenore can play well, Kewan Williams is one of the best nickelbacks in the NFL. Like, there's reason to, you know, be excited to go, okay, like, that they're going to be okay. But again, when you have players who haven't played a snap in the NFL yet and you're relying on them to be your second-string cornerbacks and the only other guy you got is Dante Johnson and his, like, 37th tenure in San Francisco, you know, there are reasons to say, hey, maybe we go add somebody else. And I do like what they did with the safeties this year. Jimmy Ward, you know, it sucks that there is an injury to Terrius Moore, who I think was prime for our breakout season. Then Tony Jefferson's back. He, you know, he has everything to prove again. Uh, Tart's back on a one-year deal. Guys on a one-year deal are going to say, I want to get paid when the salary cap jumps back up next season. Tart, Kaelin Williams, they're going to have things to prove as well going into their 30s. You know, guys like uh, Tavon Wilson, who is on, is on a deal here, like they, these are guys who want to prove themselves still for the next paycheck. And when you have guys like that, it's make or break. And I think the rotation they'll have with Jefferson and, and Tavon Wilson and, and Jokowski Tart and Ka1 Williams, you know, obviously nickel and safety here, but on one year deals, they are going to want to play every snap like it's their last. And while I hate to rely on guys like that because it's boom or bust, those are again, like Jalen Hurd, the best guys to bet on. Um, And again, there are still questions. Can Emmanuel Mosley be CB number two consistently last year? He didn't play a lot of snaps, he was not on the field a ton. I think I saw a stat today, it was like 51 snaps at CB two because there's a lot of rotation, obviously, with injuries and stuff. But there is a question of can the manual Mosley cement himself as CB number two? And well I think he can. Again, he has two years to prove himself. If not, they're going to be in the market for a cornerback again. And you may even see them say, in a panic move, we have to go bring back Richard Sherman when when his legal issues and hopefully he's okay and everything gets taken care of there, but hopefully you know, it, it may be that they get desperate and say we have to bring back Sherm because Mosley ain't cutting it, Thomas ain't ready yet, and Lenore is backing up uh, Ka1 Williams. And we don't have that CB number two. And a veteran guy like Sherman can bring the value here. I'm not saying they're going to do that. I'm just saying that it's a possibility as a fallback option. So again, questions? But I do think they have guys that can answer the call. Tony Jefferson at safety, Tavon Wilson, tart. Ambry Thomas, I think I think he can be a breakout candidate. I do think he is someone that by the end of the year, you are saying CB number two and they go into 2022's offseason thinking okay, like maybe we don't have to pay big money for a rep because Thomas has played so well but again, we'll have to see and now let's talk about what everybody has been dying to discuss Trey Lance versus Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've listened to the last, you know, three or four episodes. But uh, I was highly skeptical of who this team was going to draft. I was not on the anti-Justin Fields train. I wasn't on the pro-Justin Fields train. I wasn't on the anti-Mac Jones train. I wasn't on the pro-Mac Jones train. Uh, What I was on was the the get-the-right-quarterback train. Now, again, when I dove into the tape, and many of you have DM'd me about this, I went holistically, I dove into the pond, I ate the Kool-Aid of Trey Lance. Once I saw what he can do, I said, this is the guy. Like, I talked to Matt Burrows, this is Shanahan's chance to get his John Elway. Well, when you say John Elway, that doesn't scream... Justin Fields, to me, that screams Trey Lance. And I'm not comparing the two, I'm not saying one will be that or play it to that par. What I'm saying is is that I've been on the Trey Lance train, the Trey area, the Trey to the Bay train, a couple weeks, a month or two prior to him being drafted. But the entire offseason, there's been this narrative, or, or excuse me, ever since Lance has been drafted, there's been this narrative that he has to start week one. That you know you don't trade three picks for a guy only to you know have him ride the bench for ten weeks or a whole year, and I think a lot of people have used the rumored again rumored uh, aggravation or dissension between Shanahan and Garoppolo to kind of fuel that thought to fuel that narrative. And well, I do believe there may have been some disagreement on Jimmy Garoppolo's injury. There may have been some I don't want to say a exchanging of words, but there may have been some disagreement of his value and what to do with him, as there would be with anybody who was on the verge of losing their job. And maybe Shanahan has thoughts about Grappolo or he doesn't think he is the guy. Who knows? We don't. It's rumored. But again, I see how that is portrayed. And and, and I understand the thought process of using that because there probably is a good chance a lot of that is true. Again, rumors. (laughs) But, yeah. But I think one thing people are neglecting here is that Shanahan himself has said it is Trey Lance's job for him to make it a competition. Said it on the Rich Eisen show shortly after the draft. You can go check it out yourself. And Shanahan continued saying, until then, until Trey Lance does that, you know, Jimmy Grapples is a really good quarterback and he's going to be the quarterback until Trey Lance changes that. People seem to forget that Shanahan has openly stated Jimmy Garoppolo is QB1 until Trey Lance changes that. And the conversation becomes, well, when can Trey Lance change that? And that's when many people believe he can change that by week one. Now, I want to ask you a question. Because, would you... Let's say you own a business. And... You have an experienced worker who, granted, has missed some time, maybe due to injury, or maybe has taken a few vacations here and there, but when he's healthy, when he's at the facility, he or she is a great worker. They prove themselves over and over and over again. They, they, they put themselves maybe in tough situations sometimes, but they come in clutch almost every single time. And maybe the last thing they did, let the sour taste in your mouth, but... They still, in your heart, you know they are a consistent worker. And they can do a lot of good things for your company. But then you have this young prospect, this this shiny new toy, and everyone's talking about how great he or she is. Oh man, he can do this, she can do this, she's amazing. The way she does this, the way he does this. Like, they are going to be the next big thing. They are going to be the next hottest commodity in your field, in your business. Everyone's talking about when can they get on the job, on the field, as soon as possible. But in your head, and there's a lot of context here, that you know that young hot commodity can learn something from that worker that maybe has missed time with that sour taste in your mouth, but is still a good player, still a good worker for you. When there, when at the facility, when healthy. And you think, well, what would be best for the young guy? Because I know this young person, he or she, this young prospect, (laughs) Trey Lance. (laughs) I know that he has all the potential in the world to carry my business. To bring me to heights we've never seen before. But there is a risk in just jotting them out there with maybe a cost for injury. Maybe they can learn new things to make their life easier. Maybe they can, depending on what you're in, maybe they can read the defense better if they take some time to learn. They can maybe get rid of the rookie mistakes by learning under that consistent worker you have. And yes, you can argue, well, you know, the more experience you have, the more time you get on the field or can work in the business, the better you'll be. But... It's like learning from your dad or your, or your mom. They're going to teach you things in life that you maybe, you know, you can learn the hard way or the easy way. Sometimes your parents can teach you things that can avoid you learning the hard way. And eventually can maybe help you avoid a certain mistake or make a decision that comes out to be the right one in the end. Because someone came along next to you or did their duty as a parent or as a manager or as a head coach, or as a quarterback, to make sure your life is easier. Why wouldn't you trust somebody who was taught under the greatest quarterback of all time? Why wouldn't you trust somebody who coached under, arguably and most likely in many people's eyes, the greatest head coach of all time, to not only mentor, but help and teach this young, new, hot commodity that hasn't played in a year, that has never played NFL talent, who played FCS football. Not a knock, just not the SEC, just not the NFL, just not Seattle's defense, Bobby Wagner, just not the Rams' defense, just not Devin White and vaunted David and Tampa Bay's defense, just not teams you are going to have to play in tough stretches. Not Indianapolis and Tennessee who you're going to play down the road. Why jot him on the field and toss him out there and say, go do it, when you don't have to. When there are valuable things that come from learning. And there's a reason why Kyle Shanahan drafted Trey Lance. And it's something that has kind of stuck with me because it's, one of the things that I've heard about Jimmy Garoppolo Shanahan didn't like, that he didn't grasp the offense quick enough in 2017. He didn't want to play him because Garoppolo didn't understand the offense enough yet. And while it panned out very well for both sides, I would like to think, that Shanahan said, I want to get the smartest guy on my team who also arguably has, you know, the top five elite talent as a quarterback, hopefully in this league. But there's a difference from he can grasp the offense, he can he knows the play like the back of his hand. Then compared to he can run the offense against NFL defenses, he can look off the safety. Because I guarantee you, you put him against Seattle in Seattle, Bobby Wagner line up right against him, right across from him. Wagner's going to pick up on things that an FCS school defense didn't. That is is the case. And I get learning from Nick Bosa, learning from Fred Warner, they're going to teach him things. It's not just Jimmy Garoppolo. Shanahan will show him things. They will collectively teach him how to be the best quarterback possible. But before you rush him out there, maybe get him hurt, God hope not, Jesus, would that be this, the worst thing in the world to jot him out there? Week one, he gets hurt, and then you're back to grapolo. There are many reasons to not start Trey Lance week one. Trade value of grapolo tanks. Trey Lance won't be ready likely. hasn't played in a year. Let him learn a little bit. And I can guarantee what will happen, though. I can guarantee what will happen. Maybe week one, week two at training camp. Maybe it's you know after the first preseason game, Trey Lance plays really well, lights it up 120 yards, maybe two touchdowns, uh, one passing, one one rushing. Oh, oh, did you hear about Trey Lance? Oh my God, did you see Trey Lance? Oh 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 God! Oh oh oh, every YouTube channel. Every blog, every you know, every radio station, every podcast. Oh my God, Trey Lance, he started quarterback week one. Oh my God, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's done in San Francisco. Oh God, and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna ooze Trey Lance because they love him so much. But what'll happen is Garoppolo will have one bad practice. It'll continue. Oh no, Trey Lance. But then, come week one, Shanahan's going to value consistency. He's not going to value what he saw in preseason against, you know, DB4. While, again, impressive, it's not knocking Trey Lance one bit. But it's just understanding that there's going to be Trey Lance hype the entire offseason. And there should be. I love Trey Lance. He's a great guy. Quarterback who I wanted. Quarterback who I mocked this team every single time I could. He was the guy I always said they'd take at quarterback, at number three. But we have to, you know, calm ourselves down. We have to limit the hype knowing that Trey Lance won't likely in, let's be honest here, should not start week one. It can only harm him. It can only harm this team. There are the the cons far outweigh the pro when it comes to starting Trey Lance week one, despite how much hype he'll get. But again, I want to make this very clear. I do believe Trey Lance will get plenty of playing time this season. He will get time to get his feet wet. Garoppolo has injury history. It could happen again. God, I hope not, but it can happen again. People want to compare... You know, Jimmy and Lance are, are, are Smith and Kaepernick, or they Smith and Mahomes. Mahomes didn't play for a year. Or 16 games. Kaepernick was kind of uh, eased into the offense because he was a little raw. I'm not saying Trey Lance is raw. What I'm saying is, is that there are ways to implement him to benefit the team without having him start week one. There are ways to put Trey Lance in the offense that can get you a touchdown, get you a big play, benefit not only the team, but also him as he learns the offense, gains confidence. The last thing you want to do is toss him out there, him fail, and you have to go back to Jimmy G. Because then you've just, you may have ruined a kid's confidence who's 20 years old, 21 years old, moved from North Dakota to California. He's got all this stress about what's he going to do. You built him up so much of the offseason, so much hype. And, well, I think he can work through all of that. I think Trey Lance can fight through anything. Because he's a great kid. He has his head on right. His parents are wonderful. A great team around him. The smart option is to let him get his feet wet slowly. You don't put toddlers in the pool. You don't just toss them in with no life jacket on. Baby steps. Then they grow into adults. They grow into teenagers. They grow into preteens. They learn how to swim. It goes from "I'm on the first step, Dad," to now I'm in, the, you know, the shallow end with the life ja- with the life jacket on. To now, hey, I'm grown. I can do this myself. Baby steps with Trey Lance, and we're gonna be, hopefully, eventually, <laughs> Super Bowl champions. We have to be patient and be wise with this kid because he—he's a kid. Why, Val? Why, why just rush out your number one asset, knowing diamonds are made through pressure and over time. First off, give him time. Then, when he's ready, give him pressure. That's when you create diamonds. Trey Lance can be a diamond. Just give it time that's all we have today on today's podcast again thank you for listening it's been about two to three months since we've talked i'm i can't wait for the season to start 2021 training camp is here or in a few days depending on when you're listening to this i hope you enjoyed the show and if you could follow us on social media you're not going to want to miss an update training camp updates are going to be coming to you almost every single day instagram 49ers.access. Twitter, 49ers underscore access. Again, you are not going to want to miss a thing as we build up potential, build up to opening day. Oh, it cannot come soon enough. Niner season is almost here. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review. And again, my name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49ers Access Podcast. And stay faithful.